Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. I'm going to continue where we began a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm going to be taking some time on these Wednesday nights, these midweek services to minister specifically in the vein of speaking in tongues and the priority, the power, the purpose um, of our heavenly prayer language, speaking in an unknown tongue, praying in an unknown tongue. Um, As we said a couple weeks ago that uh, what happens over time is we develop traditions. We develop traditions that ultimately take us away from God's word, not to his word. And Jesus dealt with these traditions. He dealt with the Pharisees, and he said, you've actually forsaken the commandment of God for your tradition. What you've developed and your ideologies and and your even interpretation of something has caused you to accept something that opposes God's word, does not allow you to walk in it even deeper. Again, not with wrong intentions and with the wrong heart, but over time, if our motivation and our uh, key focus is not, God, what does your word say? Then we begin to develop another vein of thought or another line of thinking that takes us away from his word. There's another word I like to use for these traditions. It's called denominations. And ultimately, um, if we just wanted to be real honest about it, a lot of our denominations and denominational thinking um, is really just somebody's interpretation of one book. It's amazing that one book can be interpreted so many different ways. But when that word is truth, and that word is the foundation, and that word is life, right? It's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. No wonder the enemy wants to... St- you know, here, here's the thing you got to understand. The enemy is not trying to lure you away from God. He's trying to lure you to God a different way. I'm going to say that again. The enemy is not trying to directly lure you away from God. What did he tell Eve in that garden? You'll actually become more like God. He wasn't bringing God is evil and God doesn't care about you and, 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 and you need to do your own thing and be your own person, just forget about. No, he was actually luring them away from God by luring them to God a different way. And so that's exactly what he's trying to do today with the word. It, you know, it's one thing if you have a completely lost person that wants nothing to do with God, knows nothing of God. We know that their end is destruction. But, but what about those that have a form of godliness but deny the power? What about those that think they're living for God but actually aren't? That we're accepting things that actually have no relevance to God, but we believe. Think about that's even more damaging, isn't it? That's even more damaging. And this is what the enemy does is he deceives, he tricks, he hides, he twists, he manipulates. And by doing so, we actually accept that what we believe 
in totality is right and God, and this is what God would say, and this is what God would have, when in essence we believe in a lie, but we don't know it. That's why it's called deception. Deception is living a lie but thinking you're in truth. Right? You, you can't tell a deceived person they're deceived <laughs> because they're deceived. Hello? So deception is really what Paul and Peter and even Jesus were warning us of in the last days. It wasn't just blatant outright unrighteousness, but it was accepting a form of righteousness that actually had no connection to God whatsoever. So when we get to this matter of tongues, and speaking in tongues, and praying in the Spirit, and why this is so valuable, and why this is so important, and why it, it is so necessary for, to, for us to address this subject the way that we are, walking line upon line and showing what the Word of God says, is not because people just outright disagree with it, but because there are accepted traditions that need to be corrected. There are accepted ways of thinking that we need to address so that we can find out what the truth is. The Bible even calls, Jesus even calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. So it's his job to reveal truth. And I don't believe there are many sides to truth. That's what the world wants us to think. That's what the world wants us to think, that there are multiple sides to a truth. Well, that's what I see, brother, and that's what, this is what I see, sister. And then we end up in this realm of agree to disagree. You know, I believe that truth is truth. I don't believe that there are sides to it, and I don't believe truth picks a side. I believe that truth is a side. And we need to discover what truth says. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. You know what that also tells me? If there is necessary a spirit of truth, then there must be a lot of lies floating around that I need the Holy Spirit to help me understand which one's the truth. What's the truth say? If he's given us a spirit of truth, then there must be, uh, by implication, a spirit of lies, a spirit of hypocrisy, a spirit of manipulation, a spirit of false, right? The spirit of truth comes to combat the lies and the manipulation. So let's yield to the spirit of truth and let's allow the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes and let's, let, let's get rid of man-made traditions. Let's get rid of this, what grandma said and what pastor so-and-so said, and this guy wrote this big old book on it. Let's just look at what the word says. You know, another one that, that we bump up against when we are really getting to what the word says is experience. Experience. And for, you know, uh, uh, not for everyone, but for a lot of people that, that struggle with speaking in tongues, our heavenly prayer language, you know, we're going to look at some of the myths surrounding uh, speaking in tongues and praying in the Spirit tonight. But, but the, the, some of the objections that people have and the reason why they have them is because of experience. I'm going to tell you right now. You cannot walk as a Christian and completely avoid error. I'm just going to let you know right now. It's impossible. Someone's going to blow it. You're, somebody's going to let you down. A pastor's not going to 
live up to everything that they ought to. Uh, a church member is not going to be everything that they're supposed to be as a loving church member. Um, we're not going to get everything right every single time. And if you're just waiting for someone else's mess to be your scapegoat and your excuse why we don't believe something or live up to something, then, then, then just go ahead and give it up now. Because somebody, somebody's going to operate in the flesh and call it the spirit. Somebody's going to treat you horribly, and, and, and they'll even put a Bible verse on it. It's going to happen. You're not going to avoid error. I heard someone uh, uh, say this once, that every, actually, every dispensation or, or every, uh, uh, you know, in church history, uh, uh, when, when they were initially introduced, they were introduced with great error, and then we had to pull back and say, okay, let's get this thing in line. The healing revival, uh, word of faith, um, seeker sensitive. I mean, they all had good intentions and good motives. But, but a lot of times when we try to fix one thing, we jump out of one ditch and we get all the way over in the other ditch. And then we have to balance that thing out. I, I've, I've, I've grown up, you know, speaking in tongues is not a Pentecostal thing. It's a Bible thing. It's a Christian thing. But I grew up in Pentecostal churches, man. And you've heard me say it before. I've seen some crazy stuff. Chris, you've seen some crazy stuff. You've probably done some crazy stuff. Just messing with Pastor Chris. Just messing with Pastor Chris. We've all seen it, man. I mean, just YouTube it. And a lot of them, <laughs> he said, don't do that because your face will come up, right? As a service, it, you'll pan across. Oh, there's Pastor Chris. What's he doing there? Squawking like a chicken, barking like a dog, you know. I mean, you just, cow. have we not seen some crazy stuff? We've seen some crazy stuff. But it does not take me away. It does not detract from what the Word says. And I just want to live what the Word says. If the Word says I can have it, I want it. If the word says I can do it, I want to do it. If the word says that's, that's me, that's my character, that's my, then I want to produce what the word says. People ask us all the time, what kind of church are you? You know, and you know what they're looking for. They're looking for a box, uh, you know, you know a, a tradition, a denomination, because it helps with the experience. It helps them, you know, I mean, think about this now, guys. I, I own this as a pastor. Think about this. When you walk in Chick-fil-A, you know what to expect. In fact, you know, I heard a comedian the other day uh, talking about how, you know, Chick-fil-A is so bold, they don't even give you a menu anymore. You already know. They, 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 are, so, they, they are so prideful. They're so arrogant that they, that they know you know number one with American cheese and a sweet tea. They don't even give you a menu anymore. You already know number one, number two, number three, number four. You already know what kind of salad dressing they have. You, you already know. You walk in certain stores and places, you know what to expect. Guys, when you walk in a new church, you have no idea. You don't know how long their service typically goes. You don't know what kind of music they do. You don't know what the age demographic is. You don't know where the bathrooms are. You don't know where the kids' classrooms are. You don't even know what the check-in process. There are a lot of unknowns, okay, when you come to a church new for the first time. And so it's on us 
to set an expectation. So I understand why they asked, what kind of church are you? Pastor Caleb had a conversation recently with an individual, and they kept trying to wanting to peg, you know, you know, who are you affiliated with? And, you know, all these different, and, and he just kept saying, we just preach the Bible. We just preach the Bible. But that sounds so vague, and that sounds so like we're avoiding answering the question. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. We preach the Bible. But the second I tell you, oh, we're a Pentecostal church, or we're a, you know, affiliated with this organization, then, then the boxes go up. When God wants us to experience all of him. God wants us to experience all of who he is. And that's only found in the word. And if it's in the word, we preach it. If it's in the word, we believe it. If it's in the word, then we are looking to apply that so we can yield the fruit from it. So tonight I want to give you, um, again, these are teaching. I'm not going to be very preachy, uh, you know, on these nights. It's very intentional that we go line upon line. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll say this real quick as well to preface. This is just as much for those that maybe are new to this and unfamiliar with baptism of the Holy Spirit and praying in the Spirit and speaking in tongues. But it's also just as good for those that you walk in this, but maybe you have struggled in really dialing in. How can you apply it? How can you live it out yourself? And also, how can you explain it to someone else? You know, what I have found is if the enemy can't keep you from personally experiencing something, he will at least keep you um, from being bold enough to share it. And I've seen enough with people that are spirit-filled and understand the power of praying in the spirit, cowering away and shying away because of what an ant might say or because of a a stigma around that. We just need to get bold. You know what? I am spirit-filled, and I pray in the spirit. I pray in tongues daily, and this is why, and this is how it works, and this is how you can receive it too. We need to get bold about this stuff. We don't need to cower away and be the the silent, quiet ones. I mean, if someone gave you a million dollars, you'd be telling everybody, you know. You'd you'd be letting everybody know what you just got, what you just received, what's been made available to you. This is an incredible dynamic power that Jesus promised the disciples and that these apostles expected us to walk in. We should not be hiding this. Paul went to one church in Acts chapter 19 and says, have you not heard? Of the Holy Spirit? You, you don't even know. you got to know this. you got to know about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what it can do for you. So we need to get bold about this. Amen? And so that, that's my goal. That's what I'm hoping uh, through these sessions, through teaching this. Myth number one. Myth number one. Praying in tongues is the same as the gift of tongues. Praying in tongues is the same as the gift of tongues. I've heard a lot of of even spirit-filled people say that they operate, that they have the gift of tongues. But we need to do better about distinguishing between the ability to pray in the Spirit, receiving a heavenly language, and the operation of the gift 
the ministry gift of tongues. There is a distinct difference. There is a distinguishing between the two. And if we don't fully understand the distinguishing between the two, what will happen is we will misplace the two or we will think that I can't receive it because, well, that's a gift for certain people. And you would be correct about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, and I would really encourage you to bring your Bibles um, to these sessions. Um, you know, another thing that we do horribly as Christians is believe something for ourselves. And this will not work for you if this is what Pastor Mark has to say. You need to see it. You need to know it. You need to underline it. You need to digest it. The Bereans in the book of Acts, they were ones that they heard the teaching of the word and then they went back and studied for themselves. They weren't studying for themselves in disbelief, like, oh, you got to prove it to me. That's the wrong attitude. They received openly, but then they didn't just receive it for the apostles' word. They received it as, I need to get this for myself. And so I'd highly encourage you to, to, to get in the word with us as we, this is going to be Bible study, okay? Y'all like Bible study? I love Bible study. This is going to be Bible study. We're going to dive into this together. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, everyone say spiritual gifts. Brethren, everyone say brethren. That means he's talking to brethren. It means he's talking to the brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to the church, not talking to lost people, talking to the Corinthian church here. He says this, I do not want you to be unaware. That's the New American. The New King James says, I don't want you to be ignorant. There's some things we don't need to be ignorant about. We need to know these things. You know, he says concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant, but that might be one of the top areas the church is ignorant. We literally are going directly against what the Apostle Paul is saying. That means you, the opposite of ignorant is intentional. It means I'm not casually going about it, but I am diving into it. And in one sense, he could be even saying, you need to really dive into this. I'm with you. There could be a lot of confusion around ministry gifts, speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit as a person. When you get to the supernatural um, um, you know, we, we have to be very intentional with things because when you talk about supernatural, supernatural, there's two realms. There's good and there's evil. If there are false spirits, there are true spirits. Okay? And so we need to understand there's two realms of the supernatural. I can't be messing around there. I need to know that I'm operating according to the realm of the spirit that's going to benefit me and that I'm giving myself to the right spirit. You know, Jesus even told his disciples one time, you don't know what spirit you are of, meaning you ain't of my spirit. You don't even know what you're yielding to right now, but it ain't the right one. So in essence, he's giving prudence here. He's, he's giving priority, saying when it comes to spiritual gifts, let's make sure we fully understand this. Don't casually gloss it over. Don't just believe someone else's word. You do not need to be ignorant of this. Jump down to verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That means the benefit of the gifts of the Spirit will be for the church, not the person. 
Gifts of the Spirit are not given for your benefit to glorify you and put you on a pedestal. The gifts of the Spirit, when they're in operation, the church is edified. That's a a quality fruit that we can look for when the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, a gift of faith. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles or the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits or discerning of spirits. Here we go. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. He just listed nine gifts of the Spirit. Now look at this key verse right here in verse 11. One and the same Spirit works all these. It's the same Holy Spirit that is operating each of these nine gifts, distributing to each one of us, brethren, individually, here it is, just as He wills. I don't get to decide what gift of the Spirit I'm going to operate in. It's as the Holy Spirit wills, and I yield to that. To one may be a working of miracles. To another, a gift of faith. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, prophecy. To another, words of knowledge. To another, words of wisdom. To one, the gift of tongues, speaking in a tongue, in an unknown tongue. And then to another, the interpretation of that tongue. In this reference, we are speaking of the nine, one of the nine gifts of the Spirit speaking in tongues. That is the gift of tongues. That is given as the Spirit wills, as the Spirit leads, as the Spirit prompts. But this is distinguished from the speaking in tongues that we all as believers are expected to operate in. In fact, Paul said it this way, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse 5, he said, I wish that you all, two chapters later after distinguishing the gift of tongues that is given by the Holy Spirit, well, which gift is the best? the one most needed at the time. I don't need a gift of tongue if I've got someone on their deathbed. I need a working of miracles. Hello, a gift of healing in operation. But I don't need a gift of healing in operation if I need a word from the Lord or a word needs to be given to the church. So a gift of tongues, that is given to a specific individual as the Holy Spirit wills. This is distinguished from the tongues that we are all expected to operate in as believers. When we look at the book of Acts, and we're going to walk through a lot of this in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, everyone in the upper room, all 120 of them, spoke in tongues. Not one of them was left out. Okay? Multiple times, and we looked at all these verses Uh, You're going to have to be very intentional. If you miss one of these sessions, you're going to need to go back and listen. In the first week, two weeks ago, um, I walked through the book of Acts and showed the five occurrences where we see 
someone baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. And it says that they all did. There was no one left out. It's not for, you know, it, it weren't just picking and choosing. Okay, you can speak in tongues. You can speak in tongues. You can. Uh, you can. That's for everybody. But here we are distinguishing there is a gift of tongues. And then to another, the gift of interpreting that tongue. These are individuals that are divinely led to operate in these gifts, these nine gifts of ministry. I would ask you, it says that there's a gift of faith, but don't you believe that all believers should have faith and operate in faith? Absolutely. Um, It says to one is given a working, a gift of working of miracles. But the last time I checked, the command, the commission was to lay hands on the sick and see them. Is that for everybody? Absolutely. So when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm not going to get into the gifts of the Spirit tonight. I'm going to be very intentional about staying in our vein. We will break these down at some point in our church. But when we're talking about a gift of the Spirit, one of these nine gifts, that's distinguishable. That's upon individuals as the Spirit wills. When we're talking about speaking in tongues or praying in tongues, there is a very clear expectation, as we'll see here in just a minute, that every believer has the capacity, those that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, has the capacity to pray in an unknown language, speak in an unknown language. And there's no evidence in the Scripture otherwise that it's only for a select few. Okay? So myth number one, the gift of tongues is not the same as the ability for all to pray in tongues. The gift of tongues is a distinguishable um, gift that is given to certain members of the body of Christ. Okay? Let's uh, move on to number two. Myth number two. Speaking in tongues is the purpose of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is the purpose. It's the reason why you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that you can receive a heavenly prayer language. The reason why this is a myth, this is, is, is not biblical, acceptable thinking, is because if we get the motivation wrong, then we're going to affect the outcome. We're going to affect the outcome. I had a conversation recently with just someone that said that basically, in essence, the only reason they were desiring to be baptized in the Holy Spirit was so that they could receive a heavenly prayer language. But that's, that, that's actually not even the goal or the motivation of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Praying in an unknown tongue or receiving a heavenly language is a byproduct of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. But it is not the goal or the purpose of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus highlights this with his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, Jesus speaking with his disciples just before he ascends. And I'll also let you know, how many of y'all know the Great Commission? Y'all have heard of the Great Commission, right? You know, we love the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28. We love the Great Commission of Mark chapter 16. 
But we miss the Great Commission of Acts chapter 1. What we don't realize, what we have failed to realize, is the Great Commission is actually given to us in three separate parts. In Matthew chapter 28, we have no problem. Yep, that's the Great Commission. He's sending them out to go and make disciples of all nations. That's Matthew chapter 28. We've heard that part of the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16. And you will lay hands on the sick. These signs will follow them that believe. You'll lay hands on the sick, see them recover, uh, cast out demons. He even says there that you'll speak with new tongues in Mark chapter 16. He says that if you uh, take up a, a deadly serpent or drink any deadly poison, it will not harm you, right? That's part of the Great Commission as well. But then this is actually the third part of the Great Commission. It's the same conversation in three different parts. Jesus is talking with his disciples and, and the few that, that, that followed him after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. And this is the third part. And the third part is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So let me just give you a few reasons why we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Number one, to follow Jesus' command. To Jesus, it wasn't an option. To Jesus, it wasn't an option. To Jesus, it was a command. Go, wait, tarry, and receive the Holy Spirit. He says you will re, you'll be baptized in water, but not a few days from now, you'll, you will be baptized with fire, he says. That was an expectation of Jesus. It wasn't if you feel like it or if you want a little extra. You know, you know if, you, if being born again is good for you, then hey, just, just stop there. Just get that. Uh, but, you know, if you want to go a little more, no. It was, a, it was a strong expectation of Jesus. It was a command. Number two, baptized in the Holy Spirit to follow in his example. To follow Jesus' example. Number one, to follow his command. Number two, to follow his example. What was his example? Remember when he came up out of the water after being baptized by John the Baptist? It said that the Holy Spirit, what? Descended upon him like a dove. That was when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's baptized in water, comes right up, boom, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Number three, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit to receive power for kingdom work. To receive power for kingdom work. In the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, you won't see anyone demonstrating the kingdom of God without the Holy Spirit. You can't find it. Not even Jesus. Jesus didn't do one miracle, didn't do one sign, didn't do one wonder until he was baptized in water, comes up out of the water, Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. The apostles and the disciples, they didn't do any sign or any wonder without receiving the Holy Spirit. Oh, wait, Pastor Mark, what about in Luke chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus sent them? If you go and read, it says, I'm giving you my authority. I'm giving you that power. He gave them that power before 
they went and they did those miracle signs and wonders. Now, that remember what Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go. If I don't go to the Father, I can't send the Holy Spirit. So now the disciples needed to receive not just the power and authority directly from Jesus, but they needed to receive the Holy Spirit that descends once Jesus ascended. Y'all with me? So there's no manifesting, demonstrating, performing, producing kingdom work results. Laying hands on the sick, seeing them recover, casting out demons, um, um, raising the dead, doing these signs and wonders, these manifestations of the Spirit without the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon an individual. Even in the Old Testament, we haven't received the Holy Spirit yet, have we? But you will read that they did those signs and wonders as the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Joshua. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Deborah. The Spirit of the Lord came upon. The Spirit of the Lord went with these individuals. The Spirit of the Lord worked alongside them and came upon individuals, specific individuals, not like we have it today. The Holy Spirit was separated from man in Genesis chapter 6 because of their sinfulness. He said, my spirit will no longer contend with man. My spirit can no longer dwell with man. I must remove my spirit. And the Holy Spirit would come upon prophets, priests, and kings. Leaders, national leaders, spiritual leaders. But now... In the New Testament, this dispensation, the age that we live in, the Holy Spirit can come upon all of us that are baptized, and now we can walk in the power. That's why Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do, and what? Even greater works. Not greater in manifestation, greater in measure. You ever wonder, what could be greater than raising the dead? Y'all ever ask that question? What was Jesus talking about? How do you get greater than that? He meant greater in number. Instead of me going around do these things, there's a bunch of me's going around. Bunch of Jesuses, right? A bunch of Jesuses operating in his authority, operating in his power. And now we've got a church, the, the most powerful entity on the planet that could be doing these things. And these things happen. Signs and wonders, they happen. You might need to go to Africa to see it. You might need to go to Haiti to see it. You might need to go to Nicaragua to see it. You might need to go to a third world uh, country that doesn't have what we have in the United States. But they happening. Dead people living, coming back to life. Happening. Absolutely it's happening. Don't, don't kid yourself that that stuff is done. That God's not operating that way. That God's given up or, 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 or you know, it, it, we're all just hanging out until Jesus comes back. He is still working, still working mightily through people that will yield to the Holy Spirit and the, receive the Holy Spirit and do what he said in his word we should be doing. It, I'm telling you, the church is, church is making a comeback. I'm telling you right now, church is making a, we're going to see it in this country again. We're going to see it in our streets again. We're going to see it in our hospitals again. We're going to see it in our homes again. You agree with me? Amen. But you will receive power. The, number, the fourth reason we receive the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is to become emboldened to be a witness. 
to become emboldened to be a witness. No shy witnesses. No, you're bold. That's what they said about the disciples. They saw their boldness. I mean, boldness was coming off of them so much so that people saw it. I can see how bold you are. It was, it was a different kind. It wasn't just a demeanor. It wasn't just a personality change. It was a supernatural boldness to articulate clearly, to share faithfully, to, to, be, to, 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 to be no cowering, no, no, no drawing back. You know why we see the church drawing back today? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. We see the church bowing today because they don't have the Holy Spirit in operation. Those that, are gonna, those that are filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they will be distinguishable, set apart, bold as a lion. Set their face like flint. You bring it, I dare you. Say it, do it, touch it, bring it. That's the boldness that we're talking about, a supernatural boldness that will exceed and supersede your personality and your demeanor and your character. So those are the four reasons why we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not so I can speak in other tongues. If your desire is, I want to I receive the Holy Spirit so I can speak in other tongues, it will come, but you need to know why you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need to know why there's a need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Myth number three. Myth number three. You can't control it. When a heavenly language comes on you, there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) Can't control it. It's a myth. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Verse 4, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began, everyone say began, and began to speak in different tongues, here it is, as the Spirit enabled them, or as the Spirit spoke through them. But notice there's a couple things we have to see here in this passage. Number one, they were obedient to tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit. They were in a posture of receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay? Jesus told them to go, tarry, wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Had they not been in a posture of receiving, had they not been in a posture, Father, we want to receive this promise that you have promised us. We want to receive the Holy Spirit as your son Jesus told us, commanded us to wait for. If they're not in the posture to receive, if they're not in the posture to to be in a position to yield themselves to it, the Holy Spirit's not showing up. The Holy Spirit does not force himself into any situation or onto any person. So number one, they are in a posture to receive. They are in a position to yield. Number two, it says that they began to speak. They began to speak. They began to speak, which means what? They had to open their mouth, and they had to make a sound using their lungs, using their 
vocal cords, sending breath from the lungs through the trachea, the pipe, right? The windpipe through the mouth. Come on, I'm getting very practical with you. Air's going through the mouth. Then their mouth is beginning to move and their tongue is beginning to move, formulating sounds and formulating words even though they don't know the words. Why am I breaking that down? Because I want you to understand that there's a very natural component to praying in the Spirit just as much as it is supernatural. But it's not so supernatural that it's just forced out of us and there's nothing I can do about it. You can't control it. Nothing I can do. He's just going to start talking and noise is just going to start. I mean, I've prayed with people. Maybe you were one of these. That's okay. I've prayed with people. They just stand there with their mouth open. I mean, literally expecting some supernatural thing to take over their body. Demons take over bodies. The Holy Spirit does not take over bodies. The Holy Spirit always demands a yielding to his prompt. The Holy Spirit always demands a yielding to his prompt. You have to do it. I love that God made us a role player. Amen. And we, we don't have, we're, 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 we have not accepted a form of Christianity where God's just doing whatever he wants and we're just little pieces on a chessboard just in the right place at the right time. I, I, I play a role. I'm a participator in this thing. I'm bringing heaven to earth. Jesus told us to pray that heaven would come, that his will would be done. John Wesley said, it seems as if God can do nothing in the earth except a man pray. Isn't that amazing? That'll mess up some theology right there. That messes up the God is in control stuff right there. That messes up the sovereignty. Yeah, God is absolutely sovereign, 100% sovereign. He's sovereign over one thing, his word. His word. And so when he spoke and said, let them rule, he can't take that back. He can't go back on his word and say, you know what, forget about man, I don't need them anymore, I'll just do it myself. Even when he wanted to redeem man, guess what he still had to find? A man. Problem was, he was the only one that could redeem man, and he's the only one that couldn't redeem man. I don't have a flesh suit. God is spirit, and those who worship him, worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. I don't have a flesh suit. I don't have skin. I don't have a vehicle to enter that realm. By my command, I said, let them rule. Let man rule, created in my image, created in my likeness. So he had to find a way to put himself in flesh, in a sinless, spotless flesh suit. And he did just that. And Jesus came and did the work, and he revealed to us what a spirit-empowered, submitted-to-God man looks like. See, Jesus didn't come to show us what he could do. Jesus came to show us what we can do. Y'all hearing me? Jesus came to show us what we could do. Jesus was a man submitted to the Father through the lordship and submission of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? You can be a man or a woman submitted through lordship to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you can do what Jesus did. Therefore, he wasn't lying when he said, these works that I do, even you can do. 
and even greater works. Because I go to my Father. Because I'm leaving this earth, I'm leaving you in charge. Now you take it, you manage it, you rule it, you control it. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Right? Amen. Okay. So we recognize that uh, we have a level of control with this. We have to yield to the Holy Spirit. Myth number four, on the flip side, myth number four, you don't have to do anything. Well, we know that's not a true statement using the same reference that we just gave you. One thing I do when, when I help someone, when I walk someone through being baptized in the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, an activity that I always do with them, is I'll say, now once they've received it, once they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're yielding and, and they're, they've received their heavenly language, it's coming out. I'm telling you right now, guys, when it when it's initially comes out, it doesn't sound, you know, you, you can get fluent in it. You get better at what you practice. Amen? You get better at it. Doesn't, I mean, you, did, you didn't come out talking English that great either. My son learned his first word. Austin learned his first word. Stop. Great. Why can't they learn yes, sir, or yes, ma'am first, or my pleasure? It's no and stop, and he even points his finger. He goes, stop, doesn't he? He was doing it last night. Did you film it? You probably filmed it. Y'all already probably knew that. It's probably on Facebook. Got 1.5 million reviews. Well, one thing I'll always do with people when I'm helping them receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is I'll say, okay, begin praying in your prayer language, and they'll begin praying, and then I'll say, stop. And they stop. And I'm showing them that you are responsible for turning it on and turning it off. Turning it on, turning it off, okay? Myth number five, you will feel something. You will feel something. Where in the Bible does it tell us to be led by our feelings? Okay? So a lot of times, you know, when I'm praying for someone to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm I'm walking them through that, working them through that. I just don't feel anything, Pastor. I just, I I I don't feel, I'm not supposed to. You know what? We don't, we don't, we don't go with that. Start natural. Start in the natural. There's times now where I'll know I need to pray in the Spirit about something. I've been praying in in tongues. I've been speaking in tongues for 30 years. I'm 38 years old. I was 8 years old. I remember it was uh, in in August. You know, I don't remember the day. Maybe you do. I don't remember the time. I remember where I was, and I received baptism of the Holy Spirit. Began, but, but even to this day, I have to yield to it even if I don't feel anything. Even if I don't feel anything. But feelings have nothing to do with being filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, or speaking and praying in an unknown tongue. There there may be no feeling at all. Start in the natural. I love what Brother Hagin used to say. I would start in the natural, I'll get over in the spirit. You pray praying in tongues is probably one of the quickest ways to get in the spirit. To yield to the spirit, to get sensitive to the spirit. Okay? So you start where you're at. You start in the natural. 
It might not have a feeling associated to it. Myth number six, tongues are of the devil. Tongues are of the devil. Hey, these are real myths. These, there's people that believe that, that, that uh, a heavenly prayer language or praying in an unknown tongue. I mean, okay, so if that were the case, uh, lost people should be speaking in tongues all the time. I mean, if that's the case, we've yielded to everything else the devil wants us to do. I've never met a lost person that spoke in tongues, that had a, a, a prayer language, that spoke in an unknown tongue. Okay? Secondly, if tongues were of the devil, then Paul is encouraging demonic activity in the Corinthian church when he says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. So if this is the case, then we've got some contradictory statements here. We, we, we've, got some, we've got some issues and some challenges where this is a thing of the devil and not of the spirit. And wouldn't that, wouldn't that be just the tactic the devil would use to make you think it's of him so you want nothing to do with it? It's actually more of the devil not to yield to the Holy Spirit through a heavenly prayer language than it is to yield to the Holy Spirit. And he knows this. That's why he's the deceiver. That's why he manipulates and he twists. Tongues are not of the devil. Okay? Myth number seven. Myth number seven. Tongues are not for today. That means they've been done away with. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Let me just jot it down. I'm going to get a little quicker here so I can get this wrapped up. Y'all doing okay? Good. This is good stuff, isn't it? Okay. Even if you're still trying to figure out if this is good stuff, just go with it. You're already here. They think you're one of us anyway, so. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. I am God. I change not. If he introduced this and thought that this, and especially praying in the Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, you realize that the dispensation you're living in today is the same dispensation that started in Acts chapter 2. The dispensation from Acts chapter 2 does not run out until Jesus returns. And that's the dispensation you and I are in. There will be a time where tongues will not be necessary. There was a time where tongues weren't necessary before. But we're in the dispensation where tongues are necessary. Tongues are vital. Tongues are important to the believer in the dispensation that we live in. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. This is the verse that usually people that believe tongues has been done away with. This is what they want to quote, but let's break this down and look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, reading out of the New Living, verse 8. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. Yeah, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. There will be a day when tongues pass away. There will be a day when prophecy passes away. There will be a day when we don't need that. But love will last forever. Now look at verse 9. Let's keep it in context. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. He says even when we're using tongues and interpretation or prophecies, we're still only revealing a part of it. We, we will not see the whole picture until, verse 10, 
when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. He's saying tongues and interpretation, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, uh, prophecies, um, um, these revelations, these revelatory gifts that we have access to today, even when they're in perfect operation, are still only giving you a snippet of the picture. But there's a day coming where we will operate in perfect, total revelation. When is that day? When we are with him face to face. When we are no longer have this flesh suit holding us back and limiting us, but we will be spirit as he is spirit. And when that time comes, we won't have need for tongues and interpretation. We will know the will of God because we'll be face to face with God and his will and his purpose. But until then, we need some help. Everyone say, I need some help. I need some assistance. And that assistance is those nine gifts that I gave you. That assistance is the Holy Spirit operating on and through the life of the believer. We need assistance here and now. Come on, we, we already know what we've been through the last year and a half. If that hasn't shown you we need some assistance, then you need to wake up. Might be a part of the problem more than you're a part of the solution. You think everything's okay and we're doing just fine and we don't. No, we need some assistance. My prayers need some assistance. And that's what praying in the Spirit is. It's praying with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Who knows the mind of God but the Spirit? of God. And he comes alongside. Man, I don't know how to pray for my president. I don't know how to pray for these leaders. I don't know how to pray for this stuff that's happening. I don't know how to pray for you and what you're going through. We got some major issues going on in our church right now with our church family that that we're working with and we're battling through with a lot of families. Man, I've been praying in the spirit more than anything. Because I don't know how to get their body to turn and come off of that ventilator. I don't know how to pray. I mean, we're even praying for some to go ahead and transition on home to glory. They've said, I wanted to go. I, I, want, I want to be with him. And so we're praying for a smooth, quick, simple, pain-free transition for some people. Well, that's hard to pray in the natural when you want them to stay. I switch over. I start praying in the spirit for them. We need assisted prayers by the Holy Spirit. And look, we need this now more than ever. We don't need this any less than these apostles needed it in 1 Corinthians. We need it more than they need it in 1 Corinthians as the day draws near. Amen? Myth number eight, the last one I'm going to give you. Last one I'm going to give you right here. Tongues are not for everyone. Okay, so we address tongues are not for today. We got that. It's even more so for today than it was when it was first introduced. Okay, there's no indication that there's a, there, there'd be a time coming before Jesus returns that we would not need tongues and a heavenly prayer language. There's no indication in the word. None, none at all. In fact, the indication is the very opposite. You need it, and you need it now more than ever. Myth number eight, tongues are not for everyone. Romans chapter two, verse 11 God is not a respecter of persons. There's no partiality with God. Why would he give something so powerful but only give certain individuals access to it? No. No. That would be a respecter of persons. Give you one thing, but I'm not going to give her the same. Okay? Now, gifts of the Spirit are different. 
Because we don't want to rely on the person. We want to rely on the gift. But when we're just talking about a prayer, prayer language that connects me to heaven and is the Holy Spirit assisting me, that's for every single person. And God is not a respecter of persons. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. You know that in Acts chapter 2, um, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the 120 in the upper room. In verse 17, when Paul begins to preach, he has this to say. It was prophesied, it shall come to pass in the last days. We in the last days? Sure are. It will come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone say all flesh. I looked up that word all in the Greek, and it means all. It means all. He's not tricking you. He's not leaving a few exceptions. Nobody's exempt. It's for all flesh. We all got flesh in this room. It's for all of us. He's going to pour out his spirit. And what does that mean? In the same manner with the same expectation as it was in what Peter was referencing in that day right there. What in essence, what he was saying was, guys, this wasn't just for us in this upper room, 120 of us. This was going to happen for everybody. We're just the first ones to get it. Now you get to follow our example. Now you get to see what this looks like. He's pouring out his spirit. It looks like we're drunk. You're confused right now. But I can promise you it's the Holy Spirit coming upon us, and he wants to come upon you too. This gift is not only for us. It's not only for you, but even the generations beyond you, he says. In... Um, Um, let me skip that one. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Let me just give you a quick recap. We've covered this before. Peter was given a vision by God of a blanket coming down out of heaven. There were all these unclean animals in it. And God was saying, take, eat. And he's saying, I can't eat, God. That's unclean. I can't touch that stuff. And what did God say? Do not call unclean what I've called clean. As soon as that vision wrapped up, boom, 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 knock at the door. Got three Gentiles at the door calling for him to come to Joppa, Gentile community, Gentile city. He goes over there. He starts ministering the word. And it says here in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words to Gentiles now, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. The circumcised, that means they were of one group, and the people that are on the other side are of another group. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. If anybody was going to be excluded from receiving the Holy Spirit, it would have been these Gentiles. This is for us. This is, us. This is for us Jewish people, those that follow Jesus, those that honor the Messiah. Amen. So right here, we're seeing that this isn't just for a select group. This is for all people that will believe on the Lord Jesus, be submitted to him, and, the, and can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 11, the next chapter over, by the way, in verse 46 there, it says that they heard them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Acts chapter 11, he's, Peter has now, now gone back to his Jewish community. 
and he's letting them know what happened. And they're like, no way, Peter. There's no way that they were able to get born again. There's no way they were able to receive the Holy Spirit. They're Gentiles. They're uncircumcised. Peter says, as I began to speak in verse 15, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Here it is. Just as he fell upon us. What's he talking about? Acts chapter 2. He's saying the same thing that happened to us in that upper room with the 120 is happening to them. And they're Gentiles. They're not, they're not even excluded. Go down to verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. The Holy Spirit isn't for a few select individuals any more than salvation is only for a few select individuals. Anyone that believes on and receives, makes Jesus Lord of their life, has access to and should ardently expect the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Let me just look at verse 13. Luke, this is Jesus speaking. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to who? To those who ask. Right here he's saying he will not withhold the Holy Spirit. If you're bold enough to ask and you yield to the baptism, he wants you to have, he desires that you have, and he will freely give the Holy Spirit. And again, I told you this one early, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5. Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church, <clears throat> I wish you all spoke with tongues. And you know what? That's the same word, all, that we saw in Acts chapter 2. I wish that you all. Well, Paul would be going against God if there was only a select few that could get it. But he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. I want you all to receive this prayer language and receive the power of praying in the Spirit. Why are these myths important? This is not to highlight those that object and those that refute. This is so we better understand what God's plan is. And the enemy's always trying to re re uh, uh, um, rear up devices and tactics to talk us out of what freely belongs to us. There are people that object to divine healing today. There's people that object uh, uh, to uh, uh, going to heaven. There's people that object to going to hell. There's people that literally preach and believe that once you've made Jesus Lord of your life, you don't have to do anything else with your life. You're automatically in heaven. You made it. It doesn't matter what you do. You can sin all you want. You can live for your feelings and your passions all you want because Christ's work is finished. I mean, there's some crazy stuff out there, guys. And if we're not careful, we'll allow ourselves to get steered off of God's plan. Our traditions get in the way. But if we can bust up some of these things and see what God's word clearly says, then we can remove the hindrances and freely walk in all that he has for us. So, Father, we thank you. Tonight. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. 
If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.